Okay. The Bible. Let's find a Bible. Find a Bible, everybody. I don't know where your Bible is. Maybe it's on your phone. Wherever it is, find a Bible. We're going to talk about the Bible for a little bit today. Spend some time together. The Bible is a weird book. Uh, let me just be the first to say this. Uh, I think I was trying to count it down. This next, you could pray for me this next week. This next week uh, is my last class in my doctoral program. This is it, baby. And uh, well, it's not. It's not. I still have to. You still have to pass the class. So there's no applause yet. But um, so I was counting out. There's something like 11 years I have, maybe a little bit more, in higher education around scripture. And let me tell you, every time I open up the Bible, the Bible makes me go. What, 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 what was that? No. The Bible is a strange book. And so if you're a guest here today, or maybe you feel like that, I just want to, I want it's, to, it's tough sometimes to get into. And um, I want to tackle one of the passages today that actually is, I remember as, at least as a child, really having a hard time understanding what he was after. And so here's two places we're going to be this morning. Um, <clears throat> And the number next to it uh, is the page number in the, in the Pew Bible. So if you didn't bring a Bible and you just want to follow along just like I am, this is it. Page 819 is where we're going to start. This is a parable that we're going to dive into here. And then the second one is a lot like it. So it's two places where Jesus uses Almost the same parable, and so oftentimes we might kind of mix them up, and we might miss some of the meanings, but these are very, very similar. We're going to start with the first one, <clears throat> because this uh, 13, Matthew 13, 51 through 53, is the conclusion of this big, long uh, speech, sermon, set of teaching that Jesus does, in which he gives us six parables. Now, over the past two weeks, we have gone through those parables. If you weren't here for that... We have them on the website. If you want to check them out, they'll be there, um, odcc.org. But we've gone through these six parables, and each one of these parables has revealed some kind of truth about what, what Jesus is all about, what he's after, what he wants us to understand about who he is and his mission. And I love this little text here, if you're looking at your Bibles. I love this text here because it feels like I'm lecturing my daughter when I read it. It's Mother's Day, so cast your minds back if you don't have children to maybe when your mother or father, my dad's here today. I certainly remember him lecturing me. <laughs> and of course, at the end of every lecture you give to a children, you say what? Do you understand what I told you? And every child answers what? Yes. Yes, I understand every single thing you were talking to me about. I wasn't glazed at all. I followed it. To the letter. And I love that. Jesus has been teaching. He's telling them these parables, parable, parable, parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who goes out to sow seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a, a pearl of great price. The kingdom of heaven is like this big net that goes out in the ocean. Then they sit down and they start separating the good from the bad. And he says, Do you understand what I've told you now? And they all say, Yes, right? Because we know, the, we know the truth about the disciples is we're only, we're only in chapter 13. They aren't going to get it until we get to out of Matthew and into Acts, right? Uh, they don't actually understand, but it's of such an importance that, that they grasp this idea of the kingdom of God that after Jesus rises from the dead and before Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, we have 40 days of him just being with his disciples, continuing to teach. And we talked about this. This is what happens in Acts 
uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we get some information. After his suffering, he presents himself. He convinces them that he is who he says he is, that he is the risen Savior. And then he appears to them for 40 days, and he teaches them. He speaks to them. He instructs them about the kingdom of God, which should tell us something important, that this, this phrase kind of matters. Jesus' mission is to display for us perfectly this message of the kingdom of God. And this phrase might be something that we puzzle over because we don't use this kind of language in our everyday, our everyday way of talking. But it was their hope. The prophets, all of this stuff back here, right? The prophets and the law kept on talking about this time when God was going to break in and, and this vision of God ruling all over all creation, eclipsing all of our sin and our, our evil, fixing us and reconciling us to one another and to God. And even as, even as God is reconciling us to one another and making peace between enemies and making peace with him, he's restoring the earth and he's restoring the sky. And there's this vision of God just transforming all of reality. And so that we dwell in this great Hebrew term, shalom. It's a great word. It means everything's great. You want to dwell there? I mean, I want to dwell there. I want to be able to wake up every morning and be like, it's great. It's great. I want to go to bed every night. It's great, right? I mean, to dwell in that peace and everything that would include in that word peace, here it is. And we dwell in that in the coming kingdom of God. But even now, there is this cosmic truth that is happening that is taking place little by little in our lives and in the church, in our community, as we continue to search out and practice our faith. God is working this out. And so he tells them these series of, there it did it again, this wacky, Paul, we got this wacky font. It's not wacky on my computer, but we put it on here and it's wacky. Make it not, make it not wacky anymore. Next week. All right. He wasn't here last week because he was running. So, and I forgot to tell him. So there we go. Anyway, we got the parable of the sower, how the message of the kingdom spreads, the parable of the weeds, why there's evil and final judgment, the parable of the mustard seed, the shocking growth of the kingdom of God, how it expands, the parable of the hidden treasure, the surprise and cost of the kingdom of God, the parable of the pearl of great value. It's the same thing. And then whatever this is right here, I can't see it because it's cut off. Fishing in the net, the kingdom comes. But you'll notice that with all of these, the linchpin of all of these is, to put it short, right, the kingdom of God. That's what all of these things circle around. And if we ask the question, how do we come to understand what the kingdom of God is? What is Jesus, what is Jesus setting all of these parables and all of these teachings and this new reality, where is all of this coming from? Did Jesus just make it up? Is it coming new from him? They didn't know anything about it? No, it's rooted in the Old Testament, right? The entirety of the Old Testament has been speaking about this time when the Messiah would show up and set all things right. This is what it is all about. But in many ways, we have missed this. I sat in a, a, a lesson um, not much more than five years, six years ago or so, and listened to a preacher tell me that the kingdom of God is the church. And that's wrong. It's absolutely not. It's not the church at all. 
The church are the people who dwell in the kingdom of God, but we are not a kingdom. We are not the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. So how is it possible that we could miss that? How is it possible that we could miss it? Well, we miss it because we haven't understood that all that Jesus is doing is rooted and expanding upon all of the things that God has already promised. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises that have been laid down before, but because of our consumerism, our individualism, our anthropocentrism, which is all fancy words to say, we miss it because we actually don't read all of our Bible. We just read some of it. And that's a problem. Because the point of all of Scripture is not you or me. Not even our own salvation. The point of Scripture is the glory of God displayed for all to see and God drawing all things to himself that he might be All in all, Paul tells us kind of the gospel in a bit of a nutshell, and let's work through it just for a second before we get deeper into this parable. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all have died in Adam, that is because of Adam, everyone after Adam has experienced death. Everyone you have known will die. Everyone you will know will die. Right? Death is just a part of our life. But now we have been made alive in Christ. But each in his own order. Like there's a process by which things are being done. Christ is the first fruits. And then when he comes again, all those who belong to him. And then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom of God, of the, of God uh, to the Father after he's destroyed every ruler and every authority and every power that you can conceive of. He crushes them all for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will subject it to the one who put all things in subjection under him. And here comes the conclusion. The conclusion, so that God may be all in all. So that God may be everything. So that everything may be directed to and from and for and with him. That God might be everything. But notice in all of the things that we have read here so far, and some of you maybe don't know your Bible super well, and that's okay. As I already said, the Bible's a big book, and it's a strange book, and maybe you haven't hit those pieces yet. But, but as we looked at all of this, notice all of the different ways in which The Old Testament is being talked about. We hear about Adam from Genesis. We hear about death, which emerges out of Adam. We hear about first fruits, which is language that comes out of Leviticus. We hear about the kingdom, and and we have to sort of pull apart that. What does that even mean? We hear that God is the Father. There are lots of fathers in this room, and I dare say that each and every one of us is quite different. And if you go to another country, fatherhood is even more different. And if you go to a different culture, fatherhood is even more different than that. And so when we call God the Father, what do we even mean by Father? What does a father even do or not do? What's a father like or not like? How do we come to even know what that means? The Old Testament, right? Everything is situated and rooted and based upon what God was doing there and he is now expanding and bringing into a new and living way through Jesus Christ. Now all of that was a long introduction to get to this piece and I hope you'll understand why. All right, so look at your Bibles. Matthew chapter 13, let's read this parable. Verse 51, have you understood all these things? And then of course... They say to him, yes, which may or may not be true. (laughs) 
And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. In other words, Jesus has decided if he hasn't confused them up to this point, he's going to confuse them now. What is being said here? He uses this word scribe. Scribe you might think of as a professor, an academic, somebody who spends their time reading. In fact, we know in the ancient world not everybody could read and write. And so if you needed a legal document or if you needed uh, a letter sent, you might go to a scribe. And what the scribe would do would bring forward or write down all the things that you needed. And that was their professional job. But what a scribe also did was copied texts of scripture. So they didn't have photocopies. They didn't have emails. They didn't have PDFs. Right? What did they have? They had one piece of paper, two pieces of paper. And they'd look at one and they would write it down. Right? That is what the scribe did all day long. And if you did that, if you spent your whole day, eight hours a day, looking at a Bible verse and writing it down and then just following it along, might you become fairly proficient at Scripture? Right? You'd kind of learn it pretty well. And so Jesus is talking about the people who know the Bible really well. They've studied it. They've used it. They've they've copied it even. They are experts. So the expert in the law or the expert in Scripture, the one who has been trained for the kingdom of God is like a master. Like a... And I thought of this as as I read that word. I immediately was taken to that really terrible TV show that you liked about the people in Britain and all the drama in a big house. Downtown Abbey. Thank you. I can never remember that thing. Oh, I watched an episode of that. Garbage. We're going to, we're, this, Peggy, is, you love, I know you love it, Peggy. I know you love it. I saw five minutes of it. I bet Peggy loves this. Anyway. You have a master of a manor, and he is going to throw a big party, and he throws that big party, and he is going to bring out treasures that are old, the china, the fanciest china, right? But if you do the same party every time, eventually what happens? Party goers. Boring. I didn't even, so some of y'all need to repent. See how I tricked you? Yeah, yeah. It gets boring. So what do you have to do to keep that party fresh and spicy? Oh, now you're all afraid. (laughs) You bring out something new, right? You bring out a new recipe. You bring out something fresh. You, you, maybe you, you get new Star Trek ornaments for your Christmas tree. I mean, I don't know. Whatever y'all do, Uh, that's how the Calicuts roll. But however you guys do, you bring out treasures that are both old and new because both have a beautiful place in making a complete picture, a complete party, if you will. What is Jesus trying to get at here? He's not giving you party advice, although it is good party advice as well. (laughs) He is giving us information about the kingdom of God and the person who wants to be trained so that they not only know what the kingdom of God is like, but they're able to participate in it and share it and live it and experience it in all of its fullness and glory until Jesus comes again and we actually sit at the master's table that's what he is after now all right everybody with me yeah now it's time for you to do some work what do you think the old jesus is talking about is the old testament 
What's the old that he has drawn upon for six solid parables, if not this very concept of the kingdom of God, which is rooted in everything that the prophets talked about, everything that we see the prophets talking about, even in the stories of David and Solomon, everything that Moses is pointing to as he tells you, there is going to arise a prophet like me who won't be like me, but he'll be like me. Though he won't be like me, he'll kind of be like me. He's drawing upon this old vision. What we have in the Old Testament, he's drawing upon these words that the prophets spoke. And he says, they were giving you these glimpses, these little flashes of understanding, so that when I show up on the scene as something new, something unanticipated, because you've had those flashes of insight along the way from the law and the prophets, you're now able to recognize and see, it's me. Remember, remember his rebuke against the scribes and the Pharisees? He said, you guys know the book of Moses. You know the law. You know the Old Testament so well. And yet when I show up, you didn't recognize me. How can you say you even knew Moses at all? If you knew Moses, you would know me. That's the old. But there's something new as well, and that new is Jesus. Now, this is a long, belaboring point, and I think it matters And I normally don't do something like this where I throw up names and quotes and I I pull apart people. But I I think it's really important that we recognize this because there is a fairly large swath. Swath, I like that. Fairly large swath of the Christian world that is moving away from this very understanding. One instance is, of course, Andy Stanley. Um... Who does, I don't know everything he does. I'm not slamming everything he's ever done. This is just from one sermon, a book that's become a bestseller now as well that continues on this process. And he says this. He says that the church leaders unhitched the church from the worldview, value system, and regulations of the Jewish scriptures, which is to say the Old Testament. Peter, James, Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from the Jewish scriptures, and my friends, we must as well. Uh, I listened to all of this sermon, which was fairly long, um, and there's a problem here. What's the problem? Jesus doesn't do it, right? That is not at all what we've seen Jesus do. Rather, we have seen Jesus do the exact opposite of it. Jesus is constantly leaning into them saying, have you not been listening to Moses? Have you not been reading the prophets? Everything that I'm doing echoes what they told you I would do. Now, there's a really deep and problematic ethical piece of this. If we let go of the Old Testament and we sort of say, okay, well, you know, there was this over here and this time, and now we have this Jesus, what begins to happen is you begin to make a Jesus in your own image. You make a Jesus who looks like you and talks like you and walks like you. And when you use the word uh, God the Father, you think of God the Father as he should be based on whatever it is you conceive of a 21st century American father doing. You no longer have any root in what Jesus is talking about. Now you are free to interpret it your own way. And this creates all kinds of problems. It creates problems when we ask questions about sexual ethics. Because when Paul uses words, he is utilizing words that hearken all the way back to Leviticus in these big, long chapters. And he uses one catch word, hoping you will understand, oh, I was talking about all that back there. And so when we're in this conversation that we see kind of going on within the church about 
uh, pornography and hooking up and living together, not getting married, and LGBTIQ plus all of that stuff. If we, if we jettison the Old Testament, we create this division, all of a sudden we have a new kind of freedom, don't we? Now the Bible can say whatever it wants to say. Whatever we want it to say maybe is more appropriate. Instead of going back and rooting ourselves in what Torah taught, which is what Paul is quoting and Jesus is quoting and they are all leaning on. A similar problem emerges as, for instance, this week if you're watching the news and you saw Trump talking at a rally and asking how is it that we, how we deal with these immigrants coming in and someone shouts out, we shoot them and the crowd laughs. Maybe you didn't read the Old Testament where it talked about God's love for the foreigner, the stranger, the exile. Maybe you didn't read 1 Peter where it leans upon that Old Testament text and says, and you all are still exiles and strangers here in a foreign land. When we jettison our Old Testament, we forget the rich history. We have no ability to interpret the New Testament with any kind of consistency or truth. All of it goes out the window. We become partisan and boring. If that's my one complaint about the church, it's this. It's boring. We're no longer interesting people. Jesus was so interesting. Wasn't he so interesting? Man, the left hated Jesus and the right hated Jesus. And the middle wasn't sure about Jesus. But here was Jesus constantly throwing things up in the air and always quoting the Old Testament. What happened to us? That we get sucked and commodified and brought into just this boring division when we could be so much more. We could be so much more. Agents of grace, but we will never be that if we aren't rooting ourselves in the old, but also grabbing a hold of what is new. Because what is new is really, really cool. And I want to go to, oh, that is ugly. How many of you guys got that in your Bible? Uh, It's page uh, 814. I told you to look it up. This is a very similar passage. He's utilizing the same kind of framework, which is why I wanted to jump on it. And here we actually get a real cool glimpse of the new that Jesus is talking about. So this is the same here. It is Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. I always forget to tell you verses. Who was it? Was that Peggy yelling out at me again? It was you? Yeah, no, they do. That's right. That's fine. All right, 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus, I was going to say Jesus said because fasting stinks, but he didn't say that. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Listen, if you go to a wedding and everybody's fasting, there's a problem there, right? Like, we're not eating. This isn't good, right? Jesus says, you can't fast. The party's here. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and the... Worse terror is made. And then he kind of talks about the same thing about, uh, about wineskins. But in the glory and beauty that we call Mother's Day, 
this passage has a new life to me. Because as I read it as a kid, I was like, well, I don't get the, the whole shrinking, unshrinking thing. I get it now. Laura said to me yesterday, did you put the laundry in the dryer? I said, I did. <laughs> and she says, did you put all the laundry in the dryer? I said, I, I did. No applause, nothing, just cold. Just almost as though she meant to ask it again. Did you put all of my shirts in the dryer? Which then clues me in, I shouldn't have put everything in the dryer. (laughs) Right? Can I get a witness from anybody who shrunk their spouse's something? Or turned it pink? Right? Or turned it pink? Whatever it might be. I I just suddenly had this, I just suddenly had this memory I don't know if you remember this, Dad. I just suddenly had this memory of, uh, remember gym class? You had the uniforms. I had a gym uniform that was just a, the touchest pink, man. It was not a good eighth grade year. <sighs> you don't want to be the guy in the pink. If you put it in the dryer, it shrinks. And if you put it in the dryer again, it shrinks. And what, but there comes a point where the, the cloth is already shrunk up. You know this, right? And you get a tear in it and you patch it up. But you don't pre-shrink that bad boy. It goes in the dryer. What happens? That thing shrinks up and it tears now the cloth even worse. Which is to say, if you have a completely old mindset and you try to slap something new on it, the new will never stay. The new will never stay. You won't be changed. And that's the problem. The Pharisees are asking questions about mourning. Why aren't you mourning? And Jesus says, why would we be mourning? Salvation has come. They developed this long uh, process. The Jews would fast twice a week. And they fast twice a week because they they, they lived under the boot of persecution. And it was one of the ways that they could grab a hold of their religion and they could hold it real tight. But what is fasting? It's mourning. It's sorrow. You do it too much, you die, right? I mean, you're doing it because there's some sense of repentance and sorrow, and you want God to break in. And so in that place, fasting makes a lot of sense. But to do it twice a week, all the time, and then they had another once a month, at least once a month, when the new moon hit, they'd do it again. They fasted over and over and over again. And Jesus says, why would we fast Why would we fast? Didn't you hear what John said? I step on the scene walking along the Sea of Galilee and John pops up from the water like a crazy man and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like that's excitement. We are not living in guilt and shame and death anymore. We aren't living in sin and despising ourselves. And the sad thing is I know so many Christians who are living in the old mindset and they have never, ever grabbed the new. They've pulled out all of this old and they hang on to it like like it's going to save them. But salvation has come, brothers and sisters. And it came when we didn't expect it. It came when we didn't ask for it. It showed up on the scene and invited you in and said, how about you set aside your sin, your guilt, and your shame and you just walk on, just come on into the party. That's amazing an amazing weight of grace that has now showed up on the scene. So something old has come. The Old Testament bears witness to all of the dreams of the prophets. It bears witness to the truth of God in terms of morality. You want to know what's right and you want to know what's wrong? You want to know what it means to be holy? Read Leviticus. 
That's a perfect example of the holiness of God. And when you come across those things that say, okay, Sabbath and circumcision and these things that are culturally bound to a Jewish people, because you remember, they were culturally bound. They spoke their own language. They had their own flags. They had their own, they had their own culture. Those things are now washed away. And you can step into the grace of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Man, that's good news. You can have peace with God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I love there's a place where Jesus is talking about all of the sacrifices that have to be made. And the disciples say, we've left everything for you. What's for us? And Jesus says, there is eternal life for you. But even now, there are more homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and persecutions than you can ever anticipate. And I, as a person who has lived in many churches and many places, can say this. The church has always been my family. I didn't always want to eat at every table with all y'all. <laughs> but we're family. And this is where we plug in. And this is where we learn to grow. And this is where we learn to forgive. And this is where we learn to accept each other. This is where we learn to have all this. So there's something that is amazingly new that is happening. But all of it sits upon the rock and foundation of the Old Testament. And if we give up one, we lose the other. If we give up one, we lose the other. I love what uh, Paul says in Galatians 1, 3 through 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love how he encapsulates the gospel in this sense. Who gave himself for our sins and set us free. From what? The present evil age. Not the future evil age, although there's probably one there too, right? The present, right here, right now, as we experience the grace of God, we experience liberation from the present evil age. And that's what is drawing all of this together. Jesus came to set us free for God. And he is calling upon us to take upon us, he's calling upon us to take all of the gifts that he has given to us, both new and old, that we might experience the fullness, that we might be, as he put it in Matthew chapter 13, there, the scribe that's trained for the kingdom. I want all of you to be scribes trained for the kingdom, drawing out the old and embracing the new and allowing these two things to come inside of you and mixing together with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Send each and every one of us out in the world to be missionaries, which is our calling, is it not? To be our calling. But let me encourage you with a moment as we, as we wrap up um, with some points that I think might land in terms of what I think kind of highlights in this. First, we see that this liberates us from cultural laws. Now that doesn't sound exciting to many of you. No one of you even cheered. In fact, all of, none of you are even smiling. So we're just sort of like, this didn't excite you at all, but it might excite you if you read the Quran, or if you read the Mahabharata, or if you looked at the way that other religions in the world work. Because if you want to be a Muslim, a good Muslim, who is walking rightly, you must learn Arabic. And you must learn Arabic because you must read the Quran in Arabic. And if you don't read the Quran in Arabic, you're not actually reading the Quran. Because if you watch what happens with Islam, Islam is culturally bound. If you really want to engage Islam, you must engage Islam 
as though you are an early medieval Arab. There's no other way to do it. If you want to become a Hindu, you basically become Indian. You must. There's no other way. We actually don't even have a full translation of the Mahabharata, which is their, their, their big text. Right? If you want to engage in, in, in Judaism, guess what you have to do? That's a real easy one. Become a Jew, right? I mean, these are all bound by culture. And if you want to transplant those religions and plant them somewhere else, you must plant the culture too. Christianity goes all over the world to every tribe, every tongue, every language. You know why? Because it is not culturally bound. Jesus cut off those kind of obligations. And he says, come to the party through faith in me. Right? Be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. Wash them away and walk in the newness of life in the church. And that church will be in Africa. It might be in, in China. It might be in America. It might be in South America. And it will look a little bit different everywhere it is. But let me tell you what. The grace of Jesus goes everywhere. That's good. That is good, liberating news. Without getting into all of the details. It roots us in history. We aren't living some kind of new agey Oprah, like, believe in the universe to give you your secrets and it will give you your truths or something like that. Like, it's, we're, not, we're not asking you to sit there and sort of meditate about something. Like, sometimes I just want to ask, like, what, do you even, what does that even mean sometimes? You know, like, I, I, I'm not following what you're even saying. We are rooted. This is history. Do you want to go walk where Jesus walked? You can go walk where Jesus walked. You want to go join an archaeological dig, digging up one of David's old palaces? You can join an archaeological dig, joining David's palace. In fact, you'll talk to, if you talk to some archaeologists, they'll walk through and they'll be like, I'm looking for so-and-so. And the people there still know where the cities are, where the tells are, which is what they call archaeological mounds, right? They know where these things are. We are rooted in history. There are facts. Jesus came. And people bore witness to it, and they told others that told others that told others. Right? We are rooted in history, not in just the head. And so we have this invitation to wisdom from Jesus. This invitation that says, I want to give you all that is old and beautiful and good. I want you to take all of this. In fact, do you remember Jesus, the boys, where are my teenagers who were in youth group with me? Where did they end up? They're all gone. They're helping in the nursery. I remember that trick. I pulled it too. All right. All right. That's all right. That's okay. I lost my point. (laughs) What was I going to say? Oh, yes. That's what it was. Uh, When they stand up and ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What does he say? What's he say? He makes something up on the spot no one's ever heard of before. Now, some of you guys know that's not the right answer. He quotes Shema. He quotes Deuteronomy 6. He says, you want to know how to, how to follow God? Well, here, let me give you a nutshell. Here's a nut- I mean, you, could, you should expand it too, right? But here's the nutshell. Love the Lord your God. He roots everything in what Moses told them 2,000 years prior. That's where he draws. That's that well he draws from. And I want to encourage you, if you get nothing else, I want you to walk away from this place saying, man, the Old Testament is full of beautiful, good, wonderful, wise instructions that if you want to be the scribe trained in righteousness, you must know your Old Testament just as much as you know your Jesus. And the two of these 
will come together in this whole beautiful book that we call scripture and it will enter into you and it will transform everything. And then you'll go back to it again and you'll trans, it'll transform everything. And you'll go back it, to it again. I've been going back to it a long time and every time I walk away from it, it transforms something. So I wanna encourage you to plug in and to bring into your life the treasures that are old just as well as you do the treasures that are new. That's good. Let's stand and sing this last song.